HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Julia Tertian, host of Radio Cherry Bomb. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And you know, we're all familiar with the Mediterranean diet, or so it's called, Mediterranean diet, and certainly there have been plenty of books written about it. Nancy Harmon Jenkins just won an award for her book written quite a while ago, and um, many authors have been writing books Similar to that, not calling it the Mediterranean diet, but now we have on the table a brand new book called Mediterranean Vegetarian Feasts, and it's about the Mediterranean diet with a little twist that you probably wouldn't even notice if it didn't say vegetarian in the title. And my guest is Aglaia Kremetsi, and Aglaia is a Greek food writer and journalist. In fact, she's considered one of Greece's foremost cooking authorities. She lives on the island of Kia and she, off the coast of Greece, where she runs a cooking school as well. Busy woman. In addition to over six cookbooks, Aglaia has written articles for blogs and magazines such as Atlantic, Severe, Bon Appetit, you name them, they're all in there, all the biggies. And uh, this new book, Mediterranean Vegetarian Feast, explores the roots and the leafy tops, I just had to say that, <laughs> of Mediterranean cuisine in a presentation of wonderful dishes. In fact, Alice Waters wrote um, uh, in a blurb for it, with respect for tradition and place. Aglaia, welcome so much to the show. I'm so glad to be here. It's such a wonderful place. In in this book, which is this book the, I have to mention that the photographs are uh, pent by Penny de los Penny Santos. Vincent. They And they are magnificent. They and are. they do help make the book. I mean, it makes you want to pour through the book and, and explore each and every recipe. And they are delicious recipes. But I want to get back to what Alice... Waters wrote in her blurb that you have a respect for tradition and place 
And you mentioned in the beginning of your book about Mediterranean methodology. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, these are recipes that I grew up eating, basically. I mean, that's what we ate in the old days because I'm quite old. And uh, I grew up uh, at a time when eating f- meat was kind of like a festive thing. A luxury. Right? A luxury, exactly. For festive days or for family occasions. So um, this was what we ate every day. And I loved it. And whenever we had these festive meat dishes, I preferred all the trimmings al- around the meat that more than you know the actual meat. And it's to me. This is uh, this is what I cook every mm-hmm. time. You know, every season uh, because we have a garden in care, and I, it's not exactly a school that we're running. It's a, it's a kind of like a culinary vacation, and we do it you, uh, just before the season uh, and after. I'm you making know. my reservation already. So just mark <laughs> it down. <laughs> Okay, absolutely. You should definitely come. I will. So um, so we have a garden and but. Our soil is not very good, as it was in the old times. You had people had small gardens, and they had to use up everything that they had since antiquity. So that's why I think Mediterranean uh, cooking is so inventive and interesting, and it it's very similar all around the, the Mediterranean because we have the same ingredient, and because it is ingredient based. Right. Well, in, in fact, you. Um your, you say Mediterranean diet, and it is, it is this combination. I don't call it med- diet. No, a Mediterranean. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Yes, feast. Exactly. Feast. Vegetarian feast. I'm yes. sorry. I can't get that out of I my think head. it's a feast. <laughs> okay. I think it's a feast. I yes. mean, to me, it's a feast, and to people who taste it, it's a feast. I don't want to, to consider it. I mean, it might be healthy, but the health aspect is a bonus. It's taste and flavor that is the important right. thing to so me. You're one least. of those people that go to a restaurant and you order because of the side dish, not because of what the <laughs> Basically, is, right? yeah. Right. yeah. That's the way I, yeah. I understand that completely. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you do um, come from Greece and you've written a lot of Greek cookbooks, but you've also written a lot of Mediterranean cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that a lot of the dishes are... Um, draw from the Mideast, particularly Syria and Lebanon, Mm -hmm. and North Africa Uh as well. Uh Uh, In this, what is it, like spices and paste, you're you're very keyed into the pantry and the larder. So how do these influences play in? Well, uh, surprising as it might seem, uh, in my country, in Greece, a lot of these old um, ancient or, or medieval recipes have been kind of like forgotten. But you will find them as they are described in ancient texts. You go to North, for example, in um, uh, in Tunisia. Once I found something that it was uh, described in an ancient text. This fab, I mean, this is fa- this famous uh, um, barley gruel that people mm. fed on mm-hmm. with uh, with pepper and other things, and that was that was served as breakfast in Tunisia. And this is exactly what you hear, you know, with all these spices, because. Uh, contrary to what people think, ancient cooking was very spicy. I mean, the cooking of because they had to make the vegetables and the gruels that they that were the base of their uh, eating every day of common people, because meat and all that what is mentioned in the text was only for the gentry and only for the special occasions. They were eating vegetables and. 
kind of like the staple was some kind of either gru- either um, uh, barley uh, flatbreads or a barley gruel. Mm-hmm. And going to Tunisia, I found it, and I found a lot of other things. For example, in Israel, in, on a trip in Israel, in a um, uh, Yemeni village, I found something that I have heard, uh, that I have read about, and that I couldn't understand what it was. And it was a pulp made with fenugreek. And I, I, I read, you know, when I had read it, I said, what, what do they mean by pulp? With fenugreek. Well, if you go there, you see that they soak the fenugreek and then they beat it and it becomes like a big jelly. It expands and they use that for this hook as a medium to add this hook, which is this uh, very hot um, um, sauce that the Ah. Yemenis use. So there are things, it's a little bit, the Middle East and, and uh, North Africa are a little bit like, like a time capsule where you can find things. And sometimes I, uh, I take uh, inspiration from this business. Not that I use, I, I, you know, in the book I'm not using, uh, you know, exactly this dishes. But I take inspiration and I use things uh, that... Enhance the flavor of what I get from my garden or from my neighbor's garden. I try to to uh, I always cook seasonally, and I try to come up with different dishes every. You know, you season. I mean, I, you put that so clearly for me that those countries are like a time capsule because so many of the same dishes being cooked. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. great. Um, you you just mentioned about the gruels, so I that's what I wanted to know. What were some of the different ingredients? you feel that are different than what you've included in recipes before that you've included here in one that drew my attention right away it was towards the beginning is kishk yeah kishk kishk is very it's almost exactly the same uh like um the the sour pasta uh, that we make in uh, in crete which is called xinohondros xino means sour hondros is the the ancient word for uh, uh coarsely ground uh, wheat or any grain. grain right. So, uh, so kishk is exactly the same thing. So it's a ferment, basically. It's a, a fermented ferment, pasta. Yes. Right. You, you mix it with uh, soured milk or with milk and yogurt these days. Mm-hmm. And you let it ferment and then you dry it and you keep it in the pantry. And you make uh, soups uh, with it. We make uh, uh, pilafs. You can add it as a flavoring. It's really wonderful. And I, in my recipe, I also make it with uh, with barley, as is because I believe barley it's somehow a forgotten grain, and it's extremely. I mean, you have pearl barley in this country. In Europe, pearl barley is not that much used. But also barley as uh, a flour to make breads mm-hmm. I, you, in my mix because the, the old uh, Greek mix of, uh, uh, of uh, flours to make the, the everyday, everyday bread had barley. And we, all, all, and we also have the pure barley rusks or, uh, let's say, savory biscotti because people don't know the word rusks, it seems. <laughs> So these are... Um, we do have people in England who like to no. They do understand. Right? <laughs> this, apparently, this is an English, a, yes, a, yeah. a British Rusks. word. But, um, but think about them as biscotti. I mean, uh, you shape them into a loaf and you cut them uh, pure barley or half barley and half wheat, uh, wheat, wheat flour. And, uh, but barley doesn't keep much. 
uh, if you make it into a bread. So you cut it into uh, into slices and you dry it completely in a very low oven mm-hmm. and it keeps almost indefinitely. And that was the staple, especially on the islands. Because believe it or not, on the Greek islands, not uh, one of the most expensive ingredients is wood to, to burn in the oven. Because there are no forests and there are just a few uh, shrubs that dry. So you need to kind of like conserve, uh, you make a bread and then you dry it very low as the, uh, as the oven, uh, you know, cools down. Mm-hmm. You let it overnight to dry and you keep it to eat every day. You, you, reconst- you reconstitute it, you know, underwater or you just crumble it and add uh, a, a little bit of tomatoes, you know, uh, chopped tomatoes and all. And you have a wonderful salad. So this is the Greek um, kind of bread salad. With barley bread, right? Well, of course, they had communal ovens back back, sure. in, back in the day, and now, now you understand. Yeah. One can understand why, mm-hmm. because you know you needed a place that had one fire going and sure. keep it going, right? Less absolutely, fuel. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but you know, you you can distinguish the the pitas, the pies, uh, the phyllo pies of the north of Greece or of uh, central Greece are big pies because they had wood they had uh, but on the islands they make tiny little you know turnovers which are often fried oh interesting so yeah. it's <laughs> because right. that Different that's ways. what they had so it's everything is what you have and and how you can make the best of what you have now you mentioned you took these barley rusks and maybe you threw a few tomatoes on yes. them okay tomatoes this is not these aren't ancient traditional recipes we're talking new world foods in fact you think of a lot of the foods and it's it's so much new world food that goes into the mediterranean Uh, diet which should be called modern mediterranean food (laughs) yes yes it's the it's it's kind of like one of the most uh people don't think about people forget that tomatoes were brought especially in greece they were brought much later than italy which was in the beginning of the 20th century basically and they were brought from italy and they came came from from italy and then from italy exactly in my grandmother's time for example, we made bean soup, which was kind of like a family staple. We made it without tomatoes. And even in my um, fir- uh, first grade uh, book, uh, that was, uh, you know, we had this, you know, the, the traditional, the family sits around and eats uh, bean soup. And there are the ingredients, uh, you know, in the book. In, in my first grade, uh, how do you call it? The book that you learn how to read. The primer, the or- yeah, the and there are all the ingredients, and there is no tomatoes in the 60s. I mean, in the in the late, kind of like the late 50s, begin, kind of like beginning of the 60s, there were no tomatoes. Mm. I mean, because they were kind of like, they were starting to be a household uh, thing. And then people couldn't get enough of them. They added so much tomato and so much tomato paste that it became a little bit weird. Yeah, and toma- when you mentioned tomato paste in particular, mm-hmm. is used so much in in a lot of the the additions that Very you put much. into things. Yeah. Very much tomato paste for us and for all the cooks around the Mediterranean is like soy sauce for the for the Asians. That's what. You have to think about it as, the, but we we have very good quality tomato paste. Um, it's it's I mean, and when you use tomato paste, I advise people to get the best quality tomato paste because it makes such or make a big your difference. Own. Or, or make, make your, your own. own. But if you it's, have your, if you have tomatoes, you can make your own. You absolutely. Bet. But the thing.
thing is that if you don't have uh, your own, you you get the best kind of tomato paste, and not not uh, the thing called passata. Passata is not a tomato right. paste. Right. People think that people told me one day. I mean, I, I was cooking somewhere, and they said, "Oh, so you use no? That's not passata. I mean, you can use passata if you have a good passata, or put it in a pan and reduce it. Exactly, <laughs> but but. A good tomato paste and the Greek tomato paste are actually is available in this country, and you can order it. It's you can That's eat great. it with a spoon. That's great. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the recipes that are in this book. So stay tuned. Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at internationalculinarycenter.com. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Okay, we are back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm sitting here with Aglaia Cremesi. We're talking about Mediterranean Vegetarian Feast, a beautiful new book that just came out. Um, in fact, it's it is the sale. It's it's on sale now, right? Oh it is? yes, yeah. Okay, oh, I, know, yes. I know it's very oh, yes. fresh, hot oh, yes. off the press. It's quite fresh. <laughs> yes. um, something that just intrigued me um and i i do want to talk about it and that is how you coined your phrase of cooking with vegetables and using everything called nose to tail vegetarian <laughs> cooking tell our listeners what you mean by that well i mean that uh, where i come from uh, i told you that we don't have a good soil we have a lot of sun uh, very little rain and uh, not a very good soil. It's very stony. So we have to bring in uh, soil, which is quite expensive, and we have to also uh, pay quite dearly for the water that we need to water mm. the plants, especially uh, in the months that there is no there is no uh, rain, which is from April up until uh, late November. Usually there is, there is no hardly rain. any rain. Yeah. So, uh, so we have to use, and that's that's how it was in the old days. Even people who bought, you know, things, they didn't. I see here in the kitchens, for example, how they just chop all the stems from the parsley and they throw them out. 
we don't throw out the stems of the parsley or the stems of the um, of the kale. The kale. I was at the uh, Union Square Market yes. yesterday, and I saw how ex- and, and also in DC, uh, in the farmers market in DC, kale is extremely expensive. And I would tell my husband, uh, because he's always complaining that I'm planting kale or, you know, any kind of other uh, greens like like that uh, early. And he said, oh, we pay so dearly for the water. I would tell him how much it sells for here. It's it's even more expensive. So you don't throw away the the stems of the the kale. You just chop them uh, finely and you add them to the pan and you cook them a little bit more than you do the the more tender leaves. But we don't throw anything away. Excellent. Um, you have a wonderful recipe for spinach stems for the bottoms of <laughs> yes. the spinach. Stems. Not only does it does it. I didn't. I have not cooked it because um, my fresh spinach is gone. But uh, oh. it's um, it's gone already. Yeah, from my garden, right? Yes. Oh, mine! It's just starting to sprout. Yeah, well, I, I live a lot further it. north than you do. <laughs> oh. um, but it is. It's also beautiful to look at. Yeah. Tell tell us about that particular. Well, recipe. the bottom of the spinach uh, has a much more earthy and kind of like sweet taste. Uh, it's the root. You, it needs a bit more cleaning, but it's kind of like pinkish. And I have a picture uh, in the book. And you just steam it, and then you can uh, you can just drizzle it with olive oil and and lemon juice, or you can. Uh, you can make an, an egg and lemon sauce, or you can add it. I mean, uh, in both in Greece and in Turkey, in southern Turkey, people add it to. They cook it together with uh, little a little meat, and they make you know a, a, a dish for the whole family. Yeah, it, and it's it just as beautiful to look at. Well, I I am a great because believer. It's pinkish. Yeah, because yes. it's pink <laughs> and a little green. I'm a great believer in using stems too. It makes preparation a lot easier too. You chop it up and just I just put exactly. the ends in the pan first, exactly. and then I add the tops. Absolutely, in, right? absolutely. Yeah. And um, I love the how the colors. There's so many more colors come from the stem usually. Yes. You know, in yes. the dish. Um, you have been on a, a wonderful uh, book tour these past few days or weeks, and you're continuing on uh, to to the West Coast. Um, in fact, I read an article that Joe Yonan just wrote the other day in the Washington Post because you were there and talked about, you just mentioned the lemon sauce, the... Um, the egg and lemon uh, sauce. Yes. The egg and, and lemon sauce. And uh, so you've you've been able to present a lot of this cooking to the people who come out for the media tour. Tell us about that. Well, I'm I'm very fortunate to, to work uh, at uh, Zaitinia, which is Jose Andres's uh, Middle Eastern and, and, and Greek restaurant in, in D.C. And I'm one of the grandmothers of the restaurant, <laughs> as Jose calls us. And I, I really enjoy very much working in the kitchen with the chefs, and we're always, you know, bringing out new dishes and all that. And here in, uh, in, in New York... A wonderful chef, uh, Effie Naon of Bustan, took my book and created a beautiful lunch yesterday. I mean, uh, recently for uh, for the book, and I'm so grateful to both Jose and uh, Chef uh, and Chef uh, Effie Naon for doing this wonderful thing uh, for me. It really, I think, helps bring the book to life oh, for people yes. who aren't you know, aren't familiar with this type of cooking and the ingredients. And, and Joe, and, and I cooked together with Joe Yonan, and he, I mean, I so much enjoyed doing that. I mean, I ideally, I would love to go to each city and go uh, together uh, in the kitchen with a food editor and cook together. So because 
it's a different thing, I mean, uh, to convince very uh, people who are really overworked uh, what is interesting and what the book is about. You can show them. You know, right. it's yeah. easier to show. Yeah. Well, I wish we had a kitchen here in our yes. video studio. That yes. would be yes. fun. I'm going to propose that one of these days <laughs> right? because I really do think that's fun and, and really gives it extra dimension. Um, what I wanted to uh, bring up was that you, what you've done with this, you t- have taken this uh, tradition of cooking and, and all these heritage recipes that have been developed over centuries, but you've really made them accessible for the home cook, and particularly for the Western home cook, which I think well, is interesting. Well, that is my purpose. My purpose is to make, uh, to, to bring people back to the kitchen and make them want to cook vegetables. That's why we included all these, res- all these photographs. Uh, I think that I will tempt people to go back to the kitchen and Absolutely. cook. And the recipes are, I chose the easiest recipes. And I also give people a game plan. Go to the farmer's market, choose the best things that you think, I mean, what attracts you more, and then go to the index and find my idea what to do with them. And I also start (laughs) with some kind of basic preparations, things that people can do as soon as they buy the fresh and seasonal ingredients and so that they have them half prepared and they can turn them into three or four or five different dishes during the week. Mm -hmm. So I have this kind of like game plan. Which really is um, a traditional way of of cooking. I mean, economy, you know, food was was scarce. Food was hard to come by. Exactly. A a form of economy. And as we said, you don't have a lot of, uh, I mean, a a lot of, in the the old days, you didn't have a lot of uh, wood to burn, to to have fires. and So you try to make the best every day and then kind of like turn it. It has almost every recipe has a second day and then a third day. So I'm I'm talking about this. Excellent. Excellent. You know, you mentioned wood fire again. And I just have to um, touch on... The, the a wonderful picture I saw of, of outdoor cooking, and yeah. it was with the Gasca, the, yes. the outdoor oven. Yes, the yeah. out the outdoor uh, portable, portable oven of oven. the Balkans, yes. because this is like like a big uh, dome, but but it's metal, and you just need a very few uh, very few burning coil, coals. Uh, coals or charcoal, and you just uh, you know add them at the top of the, and at the bottom, and you can bake a pie, you can bake vegetables, and everything. Uh, uh, it takes a very interesting uh, kind of like slightly smoky flavor, uh, which is very important, especially in vegetarian cooking. That's why I have uh, I, I use uh, smoked olives and I explain how to make them or smoked garlic and smoke and also uh, smoked cheese, which is available everywhere or you can smoke your own. But, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. uh, this is really important that I don't use. All the recipes are real recipes, recipes that people cooked from. I may have given them my personal twist, but they are not kind of made up. They are not contrived recipes. They are not recipes where you throw in all the things that are so-called, all the so-called healthy things. Or or fancy, and and no fancy ingredients. No, no fancy ingredients, no. Well, you are known for um, making use of everything and putting up food for the future. Your pantry is, is I've heard, to be admired and, and envied. <laughs> um, that is, I mean, it's something that not everyone has the, the privileged time or, you know, ability to do. Well, the pantry is not only, uh, only a pre- I mean, it, it's, again, 
Again, the idea of making a pantry is because I have two lemon trees that if you look at them, they are not much to look at, but they produce so much, so many lemons uh, to, twice uh, a year that I'm really, and they're wonderful and aromatic. So I have to make a lot of things. I make marmalade, I, I make preserved lemons, I make lemon curd, I make all these things because I don't want to throw these things. I mean, it's such a shame to go waste. Right. Uh, and the same thing with, you know, with tomatoes, with some greens, with with beans, with favas. So you just, you know, you have to do something. You know, we wait, we wait all year for the season to come around and then we have a plethora of whatever it is yes. we're growing. And so, yes, it's our, sort of our duty to do something with them sure. or go to the green, if you have a green market, if you're lucky sure. to have a, a farmer's market or a green sure. market nearby to take advantage mm-hmm. of it and mm-hmm. put up food for the rest of the time. It's, yes. That's, yes. That's very good. Um, okay. I want to leave our listeners with a little something from the book because right now we are talking in early November and quinces are in the market and quinces, which you could never find years ago. I was fortunate to have an old, old, old quince tree years ago until I, I lost it in a storm and oh. cried, but it would give me like maybe five quinces a year. Yeah. People don't quite know what to do other than, you know, boil it with sugar to death to make a paste or a jam. Oh. But you have, you have, I mean, or just put it in a bowl and yes. perfume, perfume your whole house. You have a wonderful recipe in there for quince, a stuffed quince. Tell stuffed me about quince. that. Well, this, uh, uh, before I, I explain, um, before I describe the quince, uh, uh, the stuffed quince, I just want to tell you that, for example, uh, when I was growing up, Cutting the potatoes in uh, quarters, it was called kidonates, which means queens-like, which oh. which make me uh, think that in the old days, when potatoes were not available, because potatoes again came <laughs> much later uh, to to right. the Mediterranean, new, another new they world were world. using they were using queens <laughs> instead of potatoes because we have the most common uh, uh, dish in, uh, in in Greece and uh, all over the Mediterranean is meat cooked with queens, mm. either pork or lamb or anything. But stuffed queens is also another thing, and, and, and another thing. And uh, my stuffed queens is with farro or with wheat berries, which you pre-boil, and then you sauté it with spices and nuts and uh, and sultanas, and you uh, stuff the queens. You first you bake the queens and you, gotta, you have to you have to soften it. No, you have I mean, to soften it. Gonna, you bake them sorry. first, and then you uh, you empty it. But queens doesn't collapse when it's baked, mm-hmm. and it has this slightly tart flavor, which is absolutely fantastic with any kind of stuffing, be it uh, meat or or with a good flavoring, uh, f- well flavored. And I use the same um, spices that I use uh, in my meat uh, stuffings. Mm-hmm. And it makes it, and together with the walnuts or the almonds, you can use any nuts, uh, or you can use, I mean, we use walnuts because walnut is what we have. But we use uh, pecans here, which are absolutely fantastic. So together with the pecans, let's say, and uh, the the wheat berries, they create a flavor that you don't know that it is uh, without meat, actually. All right. Right, interesting. Well, and you yourself are not a, a vegetarian. I'm not you a vegetarian. Just, I'm, just I'm in a, eat very I, little I, of I it. eat meat right. every now and then. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all, all this information. This is a book that's going to make people's mouths water, and they won't even miss the meat. Because oh, it's, no. but it's and the book, but it really is. And, and the reason I chose to to present it on the show is because it really is like a step back in time, because you are using foods that have been around forever for well. Millennia. For millennia. Yeah. And, exactly. And the techniques are 
although we may use a food processor rather than a, yeah. a you know <laughs> hand grating. Everything. Yeah, but hey, yeah. look at you roll your own phyllo dough. How yes. how much older of a technique can you get? <laughs> I admire that. I do, and it has been a pleasure, and Thank I you, um, I cannot wait to to visit and see what's what it's all about out there. Thank you. This has been. A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. My guest has been Aglaia Cremesi, and her book is Vegetarian, Mediterranean Vegetarian Feasts. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.